0: So Money Episode Four Forty Nine. Ask Farnoosh.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi.
0: Each day, get a thirty minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Ask Farnoosh time. Thanks ahead of time to all of you for sending in your questions, and we have a lot to get through. This has been a very busy week. I just actually got back yesterday, last night from Los Angeles. A really quick trip. I was there for probably I don't even know, like 36 hours. Crazy six-hour flight back and forth. I did fly first class though, so that maybe that was my So Money moment. I got to experience JetBlue Mint. And if anyone's experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It is pretty cool. Like actually going to LA, I had my own little bucket seat. Like there was nobody around me. It's very Star Trek. Um, so I pampered myself in that sense. It was a really quick trip. Very exciting to say that I got to meet while I was out there uh, some of the executives at Oprah Winfrey Network, which of course would not have happened had I not been already writing for the magazine. It's just hopefully another extension of the work that I'll be doing there is as, is being in partnership with the folks at the network. Fingers crossed. It was just a meet and greet, but that's kind of how uh, magic happens, right? You just have to make those connections and um, hope that the stars align one day. So very grateful for that meeting and got to see some friends. I like visiting LA. I don't like living in LA. I don't think I could be a good LA dweller. Sophia, you're on the line. Thanks for joining. I us again. am.
1: <laughs> of course. Have you been to LA? I have, but I agree with you. I think it's a great city to visit, but I don't think I could see myself living there.
0: Why? Why do you think? I mean, I think I, for me, it's, I'll tell you why, but why do you think? For you, for
1: me, for me, I just like in New York the convenience of being able to walk everywhere, and L A is such a city. At least the place, the times that I was there, the, you had to drive everywhere. And we think traffic here in New York is bad, but my goodness, there is nothing like L A traffic.
0: <laughs> nothing. That's true. But sometimes you you do get lucky and you get a GPS that takes you to the back roads or something. But you know, L A is a huge Iranian population. I'm Iranian, and so in some ways it's really cool to go because. I go to a Starbucks and I tell them my name. And here here on the East Coast, like, I'm usually met with sighs of like, seriously, that's your name? Like, how do I spell this? And and a lot of like perplexity. But in LA, it's usually, they know instantly what kind of name it is. They sometimes, as a joke, will like write it in Farsi because maybe the barista is like fluent. That's so cool. It's really cool. And, but the, but the, the, the downside to that is that, Here on the East Coast, if I don't want someone to know what I'm saying, to say my mom, my brother, I'll say it in Farsi. But in LA, you cannot get away with that. You cannot get away with speaking in Farsi, thinking no one will understand (laughs) you. I've been at like a Saks Fifth Avenue or a McDonald's, anywhere Chipotle. Like you can't. You just gotta keep a straight, keep it straight, keep it clean. Speak English, or if you're gonna speak in Farsi, don't be, you know, say anything uh, you'll regret. So that's. And that's not why I can't live in LA. It's not because of that. But I think like you, I don't like the traffic. I don't like the smog. I do think there's a layer of superficiality there that I find myself being really uncomfortable when I'm there.
1: Um, I agree.
0: And, you know, entertainment industry is cool and all, but I think that it would really get to my head if I lived out there. I would feel like um, everything – you know, they joke that everybody there has a script. Even a homeless guy has a script. Like it's all about getting your script out there, made, done, produced. Um, So it's just a different world universe, but can't beat the weather.
1: (laughs) That's very true.
0: Yeah, it was beautiful while I was out there, which beats the humidity and uh, heat that we're experiencing here on the East Coast. Anyway, that was my so money moment, I guess, is meeting the folks at Own, flying first class. It was a crazy 36 hour trip back to reality. Back to reality. Let's go to the mailbag and see what is on people's money mind. I understand that there's some questions about transitioning jobs and I can't remember the rest. You you tell me. That's why you're here,
1: Sophia. <laughs> All right. So our first question today is from Mary. And she says that she works in human resources and she's looking for a part-time or temp work. She signed up with an employment agency, but is having no luck. And she's also reached out to a ton of people for help. Any suggestions?
0: Well, Mary, I think that... Sophie. I think she's doing the right thing, you know, initially, it's all about letting people know that you're interested in um, getting out there and doing the work, talking to friends, talking to colleagues. I think also... A good strategy is going on LinkedIn and finding the people, the who's who of human resources at the different companies that you potentially could see yourself doing temp work for and reaching out to them and saying, hey, uh, introducing yourself, talking about how you think you might be able to help them. That's a big part of it too, is not waiting for the jobs to arrive, but looking out into the workplace, into the work environment and seeing what the weaknesses are, what the rooms for improvement are at the different companies that you've started to research, and then positioning yourself in that way and making uh, an introduction in that way. Because I think that immediately announces that you're not just somebody who's qualified, but is somebody who has ideas and who has done her homework. So just for sake of argument, let's pick a company. Like, Let's say you wanted to work for Coca-Cola and uh, in their HR department, contract work, temp work. So you go on LinkedIn, you find the people who are working in HR currently at Coca Cola and you simultaneously start reading up about Coca Cola. Maybe there are some, and if it's a publicly traded company, even better, if they're public, there's probably enough information out there you can gather to learn maybe about culture, about that, you know, employee practices, like workplace practices to include some of that in your in your initial email, your initial reach out to them, say like I'm really impressed with this that's happening at Coca-Cola. Here's my background, here's where I think I might be able to leverage my experience to help your company. So, it's it's you got to just make and sometimes I I always say like you go in with an idea and the other side of the negotiation, the the group, the company, they may not have any interest in your ideas, but they're interested they see your enthusiasm, they see your Hard work and efforts, and that's very interesting to them. And if if something else comes up, they'll connect you to that because they'll say, "Well, you know, your idea right now is not something that we're interested in, but we really appreciate your input, your insights, your enthusiasm. Let's see if we can work together on this instead." That's happened in my life and other people's lives. So it's really about putting your best foot forward, showing what you can do, and showing that you know you've taken the extra, you've gone the extra mile to really understand the company. And that's something that a lot of people don't do. It's always about me, me, me. I'm, I'm, I'm the best, the best, the best. But if you can actually say, I've done some research about you and here's what I think is working and here's where I think I can bring value. I think, Mary, that's where you're going to be able to make a a sort of a a job for yourself. Um, And then continue to reach out to people that you know and that you don't to let them know about your your goals. Uh, but HR is a very specific niche. It's not like you could just go to hrtempwork.com and find <laughs> those jobs. You really have to pound the pavement a little bit. But I'm sure that you can do it. All right. Next question.
1: All right. So our next question comes from Leila- Leilani. She applied for her first credit card as a freshman in college and was approved for a student credit card for $300 and she wants to know if she should close the card or keep it open because she currently has credit cards that offer better rates and rewards and because the credit the student credit card just has a $300 limit she risks hurting her credit utilization ratio anytime she makes a purchase since it's easy to max out that card, right?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So I think you should keep the card open, um, but maybe don't use it as much. Maybe you charge one thing to it a month, keep it active. You know, because on the one hand, you could say, "Well, it's just a three hundred dollar limit. Closing it is not going to like destroy your credit." Because you know, as we know, a big variable in your credit ra- in your credit um, score is. Uh, your debt to credit ratio and the more credit available you have in your name the better. So, you know, $300 in the grand scheme of it is not a huge sum to to take off your credit plate. Um it's not going to hurt your credit score in that sense. But I think what is what you said is that she opened this card as a freshman in college. And I don't know how old you are now, Leilani, but if you are graduated and you're now in your 20s, maybe even your 30s, That card carries a long history and one of the big factors in your credit score is your credit history. The longer your history, the better for your score. So it would be important to keep those cards you've had open for a while open and instead of racking up debt on it or charging to it and then you've like suddenly maxed out because it is a low limit. Maybe it's that you link one bill to it every month that gets paid off automatically. Maybe it's a utility bill that's like under 50 bucks or under 30 bucks. Um, Or what you could do is just not use it, keep it open. And then eventually, maybe down the road, the company will just close out the card. And at that point, hopefully your credit is strong enough. It's not gonna be a huge deal. Um, But I think if you can keep it open, a little dormant maybe, but open. Then, uh, that's probably the best strategy just because I would hate to see that history get wiped out um that could that could ding you a little bit, but if this is something that's just like if you're looking to streamline your finances and you want to have peace of mind and you want to have just you know one card two cards, and this is just like adding to the mess of cards that you have, and you know if if you're young enough and you've got time, you're not looking to open up a mortgage tomorrow, then okay, cancel it, but there is. No harm in keeping it open either and just using it lightly. I think that uh, there's no risk in that there's a little bit of a risk in closing it there's no risk in keeping it open and using it a little bit and paying it off every month um, in full uh, Sophia, did you ever have credit cards that you opened up freshman year in college?
1: I did, but they're actually the credit cards that I still have well okay. it's one in particular my cash rewards card with Bank of America my um when I started to build up credit the way that my parents did it was they gave me um, a card in my, in my name under my parents' account. And any of the purchases that I made at the time on that account, obviously, um, my mom would pay off in full. But of course, I would write her the check for that. And then that's how I started to build up my credit and then was able to apply for my Own credit card, which was that cash rewards card, and it's still one of the cards that I use to this day.
0: Great. I mean, that's a great way for younger people to establish credit is to have a parent um, open up a card for them in their name, like a as a um, qualified user, and then eventually you can open up your own card. And you're like, of course, I paid her. You know, I gave her a check. Like, well, (laughs) that's actually not what a lot of kids do. So that's pretty exceptional.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I have to say, my parents were pretty great with with teaching me about money. So that was, I'm happy for that.
0: (laughs) Me too. We all are. All right. All right. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. Too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning.
1: So the next question that we have is from Ailyn. She's looking to become a stay-at-home mom for a few years until her one-year-old and possibly her second child is ready to go to elementary school, and she currently has about sixty-five thousand in her company's four hundred one k. But she wants to know how to roll it over into another account without getting hit with any fees and to make the most out of it. Any advice? Sure. Well,
0: Aylin, um you could. Well, once you are no longer working for your company. You can transfer that money in your 401k into an IRA, an individual retirement account. There should be no fees associated with making that transfer. Um, And when you leave your job, your company should provide you with the directions for transferring or rolling over your 401k into a new IRA. You can open it up by going to any bank. You could go to your existing bank or existing credit union, establish a an individual retirement account there, and with their help, get the right paperwork figured out. They will transfer. They will do a direct rollover, and that's important. You want it to be direct. You don't want to get a check in the mail for sixty five thousand dollars. You you want to make sure that that sixty five thousand dollars is going directly into the new account because if unfortunately it happens, people miss that step. They. They opt for the check and then the check arrives, but then they have to pay an early withdrawal penalty and taxes because at that point it's considered an early withdrawal because with your, uh, as we know with the four, uh, um, 401k, you have to wait until 59 and a half to withdraw that money penalty free. So that's what I would say. Just keep an eye out for, uh, that as you leave your job one day, there should be some directions for helping you get that money transferred over into an IRA. And then from there, you can you can contribute to it. I think this year, the limit is 6,500 and it'll change as the years go up by. But that's, that's a great way for you to continue contributing to your retirement account as a stay-at-home mom.
1: All right. So our next question is from Liz. She says, I'm writing to get your take on the pros and cons of peer-to-peer lending, similar to Lending Club and Prosper.com. She says that her millennial friends are really into it, so she just wants to know what the pros and cons are. Okay. Well, I'm a fan of
0: alternative investing as long as it's just a sliver of your investment portfolio. Like, I think that the people who are engaging in peer-to-peer lending, they hopefully realize that it is—it comes with risks, just like any kind of investment. And that it's, in, it's okay to experiment with it. Um, but at, like any investment, it's really important to have like a long term strategy and a long term approach. And blending club and prosper.com are the two biggest peer to peer lending institutions, essentially. Uh, Individuals looking for loans of various sizes go to them. And the money that they've received, in those loans that they receive are sourced from people like you and me, individuals who've given LendingClub and Prosper.com money. And I think one of the strategies that's smart for investors is to make sure that when they give these companies money, that they really scatter it. They diversify. Again, a very tried and true principle of all types of investing is you want to diversify that money, make sure that it's spread across all sorts of investors... All sorts of uh, loans. So, you know, you have high risk loans, low risk loans, um, and everything in the middle, everything in between. And that way you really um, are able to offset risk, but also be able to have some opportunities to make some real money there as well. Um, I mean, the. The thing is is that I wouldn't turn to these types of investments until you've got your basis covered in other ways in more significant ways that you have a rainy day savings account that's you know enough for you in the event that you lose a job or decide not to work and that can cover you for at least 6 months then I would make sure that you have a retirement account, whether it's through work or an IRA or both. And then I would make sure that, you know, you've paid off debt, that you've paid off your student loans, that you've paid off your credit cards. And then I would look towards these alternative alternative investments. And the pros and cons are like with any investment. The pros are you make money, the cons are you lose money, right? You just have to make sure that you're not giving money to these institutions that you can afford to really lose, Okay. Um, but having a long-term approach will ensure that if you do lose money in some weeks that you might be able to regain it in other weeks and over the you know totality of your investment that you will come out ahead. But read the fine print and talk to your friends that are doing it and ask for their advice. They're the best resources for you because they're the ones who've actually done it and maybe you can learn from their mistakes. So that's what I would say to, to Liz. And thanks for your question. I don't think we've gotten a question like this before. So I, I appreciate new questions. I'll tell you one thing. We did get a question that I, that I kicked out of the show today because <laughs> it was about Roth IRAs and we get them all the time, you know? So if you, ha- and I, and I get it, you don't you don't listen to every episode. So you don't know what we talk about all the time. But I think that the more nuanced your question, the more, um, sort of out of the box your question, the better. Because I think like at this point, if you just want to learn about a Roth IRA, you can Google it. You know, and I think we've talked about it enough where you could go to the archives and learn. So um I'm I'm being a little harsh these days. I'm trying, I mean we're <laughs> almost at episode four fifty something. What right? what is it? Like four this 449. today is episode four forty nine. <laughs> so right, we're four fifty is on Monday, which by the way is Andrew Zimmern. I mean, like amazing guy. If you've ever watched the Travel Channel, he is all over it. He eats all sorts of weird food and he's got a very interesting take on money. So check out uh, his episode on Monday. But yeah, Sophia, yeah, I feel like... But to that to that point, because I mean, those questions are still important. Like 401k questions, Roth yeah. auth- IRA questions, I get it. So we have we will have soon a page at somoneypodcast.com dedicated to frequently asked, ask Farnoosh questions coming soon to a um, internet site near you. Um, (laughs) And thanks to Sophia and my old intern, Helen, for putting that together. So we have one, I think we have time for one more question.
1: Yes. So our last question is from Kayla and she's from California, but she's currently interviewing for a new job in Oregon And she's not sure if she should omit or mention that she has a spouse, should it come up in the interview. Because Kayla says that in her last attempt to move cities for a job, she felt that when she was um, mentioning the fact that she was married, it brought up concerns. But when she didn't mention her husband, she was met with more enthusiasm as an independent, driven, single woman. So should she be transparent or just not mention him?
0: Well, I think if it comes up, she should be honest and transparent, and hopefully, they don't overreact or assume these terrible things that because you're married that you're tied down and you can't possibly be driven anymore. That's just BS. And frankly, considered a consider it a um, a service, a uh, a gift like an early warning sign that if they're going to react like that to the fact that you're married and in a relationship and they're going to look at that as a a risk or a negative like maybe that's just not a culture that's the right fit for you. So, in some ways if it comes up and honestly, I don't think it's legal for them to ask you if you're married, but if it comes up naturally, if you're if you're hitting it off and the interviewer is talking about family and you want to, you know, chime in and talk about your marriage, I think that's totally fine use your judgment but also use it as a litmus test to see in like just remember people forget okay we're in a very strong job market and you should never feel that when you go on an interview that it's all about the employer it's about you too you're a great candidate you have qualities you have assets you have ideas you have a lot of value that you're going to bring to this company potentially someday don't you know your belittle yourself to think that just by mentioning the straight facts about your life that that is going to p- compromise your ability to get that job. And frankly, if it will, then that is not the job for you. That's how I feel about it. You know, you, you should never feel like um, that you should just be grateful to be there. No, I mean, yes, it's great to be in a, in a position to be in, to have someone interested in you to have, to take on a position at a job, but. You need to have more confidence in yourself. And when you, maybe it's how you're presenting the situation, like, you know, um, maybe you want to, in addition, while you're talking about the fact that you're married, you know, talk about how supportive your husband's been and the fact that he's moved with you already from city to city and that you couldn't have the career that you have if it wasn't for the support of your husband. That's really how maybe if you position it like that, I mean, that really drives home the point that now you being married is an asset, right? So it's all about positioning and it's all about making sure that you stay true to yourself in the interview. You don't hide things you, because I think that's going to come back to bite you. And if you do sense that being truthful in that way is going to hurt your chances of getting the job, then it's not the job for you. Yeah. I mean, we're just like employers can be choosy right now, but you're also a hot asset, you know? So don't forget that.
1: And that's great advice. I have no not patience
0: anymore for people that employers that just feel like they can pull that kind of BS, you know. And I know. believe me, I've been in those situations, not so directly, where they're like, "Are you married?" and and I do feel that even for me, I can see, I say that when I was having a child for the first time, I felt unsure about how that was going to be perceived in the workplace as far as my capabilities, but. You just have to go there out there and prove them wrong. And if, you know, and, and I think I did. And I think and, and you will too. It's just a matter of um finding making sure that wherever you work is the right place for you that's gonna support and nurture you. And and if this company is gonna be difficult in that way, then move on. There's there's more fish in the sea, as they say. All right, that's a wrap. Sophia, thank you so much. Thank you. I couldn't do this without you because as you see, I get really worked up with these answers (laughs) that if I had to read the questions too, I think I wouldn't make it so far as 25 (laughs) minutes. Um, But thank you everyone for tuning in. And I really appreciate the loyalty. This fanship is amazing. I mean, we just mentioned like episode 450 is coming around the corner. That's incredible. And um, we have a lot of Great episodes in store for you. Like I mentioned, Andrew Zimmer next Monday. Um, We've got uh, some incredible guests from Millionaires Next Door. We have Dan Ariely, who's the author of Predictably Irrational, one of my huge heroes. And um, who else? Mel Robbins. We've got Rick Edelman making a comeback here on on the show. And I just got word that Jillian Michaels wants to come on the show. So let's cross our fingers and hope that happens. In the meantime, everybody, you know where to find me So Money Podcast, and then SoMoneyPodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnouche and say, send me your question. And hopefully we'll uh, have you on a forthcoming episode. In the meantime, hope your weekend is so money.